Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, 2 Corinthians, Strength in Weakness. So here we are at this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to continue in our series called Strength in Weakness, looking at the Apostle Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians. And the paradox of strength and weakness is a const- has been a constant theme throughout our studies, and it will certainly be highlighted in our study today. So we're going to read, just to get into our text this morning, we're going to start reading from verse 20 of chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, follow along. Therefore, starting verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful Full, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Lord, we are so grateful for your word this morning and just the life of Paul and what he has to speak to us this morning. We just pray that by your spirit, as your word goes out in power, Lord, it might just edify us, edify your body, and just mold us more and more into the kind of people that you've called us to be for, for the gospel, for the ministry of reconciliation that you've called us into. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, this message this morning could rightfully be called the message of reconciliation, part two, continuing on from our study that Pastor Nick brought to us last week. Paul writes there in, in verse 18 of chapter five, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the message of reconciliation. As new, as new creations in Christ compelled by the love of Christ, we have become ambassadors with a message of reconciliation. Every one of us, in this room today, if you know the Lord and you have believed on the name of Jesus, you are now an ambassador of Christ with a life-giving message of reconciliation. So as we look this morning at the first 13 verses of chapter 6, I thought it was important to start there back in verse 20 of the previous chapter because in our study, we're going to learn 
what a good ambassador of Christ looks like. Now, Jesus, of course, he was our greatest example of what an ambassador is, an ambassador of heaven representing the will of his Father, bringing the message of the gospel, a message of reconciliation. In our study last week, we saw that sin separated us Sin separated us from God. There was, a, there was a wall of hostility that was built between us and God. And, and Jesus, the ambassador of heaven, with a message of reconciliation, he broke down that wall. He came with the humility of a servant to seek and to save the lost. You know, in John 5.30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. In John 5, 43, Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name. In John 6, 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And finally, in John 7, 18, he says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus outlined for us the role of being an ambassador perfectly. But not only that, we see that he gave us the same mandate. He gave that same mandate over to us. In John chapter uh, 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. I am sending you. Now, in turn, you and I have been called into the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Jesus and the gospel. So the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is just that, being an ambassador of Jesus, being an ambassador of Jesus. Now, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with various ambassadors from various countries over the years, but during my time in the Marine Corps, I had the opportunity to work with the State Department at the embassy in Damascus, Syria, and also in Luxembourg, working together with the American ambassadors. Now, this was the early 90s, and Syria was still considered a terrorist state back then. Not much has changed, it doesn't seem, but all of the terrorist organizations in that area, they would train there in Syria, like the PLO and Hezbollah and Hamas. Uh, they did the majority of their training there in Syria. And so there was a lot of negotiations, high-level talks, and people coming in and out. And, and you know, it was considered a, a high-threat post. And the, the American ambassador, he had to represent the interests of the United States in all these talks and, and really had to be on his toes. This made for a difficult working relationship sometimes between him and Marines there that our job was, you know, to take care of embassy security because the ambassador, he would invite his Syrian counterpart to the embassy for talks and he would insist that we, we didn't follow protocols, you know, our normal protocols like checking IDs and briefcases and cars and things like that, you know, because his, his focus was diplomacy. He didn't want to offend uh, his counterpart. But my, my focus, of course, was that we didn't all get blown up that day. But on the other, on the other hand, Luxembourg was kind of chill. You know, we weren't too concerned that the natives were going to come across the wall at any time. But I don't know if you know this, but some ambassadors, American ambassadors, they are career diplomats. Or there are some that are political appointees, usually appointed by the sitting president 
of that time because, of course, he wants his message represented by those ambassadors to the international community. But these political appointees, they don't have to have any kind of special ambassador skills or even prior uh, experience in diplomacy. You just kind of really need to be a good friend of, of the sitting president of the time. And the ambassador in Luxembourg, well, he was, in a, he was a political appointee, and he was given that post as a reward for raising the most money for the Democratic national election in New Jersey during that time. Now, like I said, there was no kind of clear and present danger there in Luxembourg. Basically, there was a lot of p- political uh, parties and we as the Marines, we enjoyed attending those parties, eating great food, and meeting a lot of very interesting people. But it did make me think that you and I, we, we do not have to be, or we, have, we don't have any special ambassador skills when we were called to be diplomats for Jesus, you know, with the message of the gospel. It was because we know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we want to be a part of his mission on earth compelled by the love of Christ that we talked about a couple weeks ago. The best part is that when we responded, when we responded to the message of the gospel and the call of God on our lives, he then empowered us with his spirit for the journey ahead. You know, remember that verse in John chapter 20 we just read when Jesus brings us into the ministry of, uh, into that same mission and ministry of reconciliation the next verse, in verse 22, after he says, after he says, even so I am sending you, he says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. As new creations in Christ, compelled by the love of Christ, we are empowered by the Spirit of Christ to give the message of Christ. Let me say that again. As new creations in Christ, compelled by the love of Christ, we are empowered by the Spirit of Christ to give the message of Christ. So what, so what does it look like being an ambassador of Jesus? Well, we're going to look at five points today as we make our way through this text. Five points. The first being the unity of the mission. Secondly, the urgency of the moment. Third, rem- removing barriers to the message. Fourth, the resume of a minister. And fifth and final point, the paradox of ministry. So there, the very first one, the unity of mission. So the the first of all, an an ambassador of Jesus needs to understand the unity of mission. He says there in verse 1, working together with him, him being God. Paul had already made this point clear when he had written to the Corinthians in his first letter in chapter 3. He said, for we are God's fellow workers, or some of your translations might say, we are God's co-workers. We're working together with God in laboring for the gospel. You know, if you read back there in verse 18, again of chapter 5, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, working together with him, fellow workers, co-workers for the gospel. We have unity in the gospel because there's only one message. Paul Paul told the, the Ephesians in chapter four, he said, to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and is in all. We have a unity of mission and a unity of message. And Paul rightly points out, points out to us that an ambassador is working together with the king, yet we should be reminded that the ambassador has no power or authority or agenda of their own. That all comes from the king. The king delegates power and authority to the ambassador and presents his message and, and agenda to the ambassador. And then, of course, the king expects that the ambassador should carry out that agenda and message as it was given to him. It's when the ambassador starts to forget the aforementioned things that that is when discord and division are sown into the mission. And when, you know, when Paul told the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, that they, that they were God's fellow workers, he was responding to a division in the church over which, over which apostle was the greatest. If you just want to go back there quickly with me to chapter 3, uh, starting verse 4, we can just read the story there. For when one... Th- for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. What, what then is Apollos? What is Paul, he says? Servants through whom you believed. They're ambassadors. Ambassadors working together for the same king. No power or authority or agenda outside that given by God himself. We, we don't follow the ambassador We follow the king. But Paul, in his letters to the Corinthians, has also been addressing the disunity that was in the message. Imagine, you know, if the American ambassadors around the world just kind of added or changed, you know, what they wanted willy-nilly with the, you know, foreign policy agenda and just kind of did what they wanted. You know, if the American president went on TV and international TV and said to a particular country, hey, yeah, we're pledging $50 million for your humanitarian aid uh, crisis and the ambassador to that country says, no, I don't think we're going to do that. No, no, I'd rather spend that on something else. You know, there would be confusion. There would be dysfunction and discord. So much worldly wisdom and personal agendas had to confuse the message to the point where Paul finally says in his first letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. This is the message of reconciliation. And the Corinthians had failed to keep the main thing, the main thing. And because of that, Paul goes on in verse 1 to plead with them. He says, he says we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Well, what does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? Well, it's, impo- it's, it's possible for you and I to receive the grace of God, the favor and the goodness of God, yet hinder that very work of grace in our lives, to receive the grace of God and not move along that road of sanctification, walking in the spirit of God and putting away the things of the flesh, becoming new creations in Christ and and not walking in the benefits of that miraculous transformation. You know, Jesus might be just someone we visit on Sunday, 
in church, but not on Monday. Or, or maybe we don't feel Jesus is enough. He's not sufficient enough for this life, for the problems that we face every day. We need to add this and need to add this and, and bring this in here and rely on this. We're not allowing him to transform us through the renewing of our minds, but we're being conformed to this world. And the irony is, is that Paul's critics accused him of being weak in his ministry. But the truth is, is that the Christian who does not walk in the benefits of being that new creation quickly forgets where their power comes from and their agenda, their message becomes ineffectual. So what, what it means to receive, so this is what it means to receive the grace of God in vain. Yes, you might be saved, but your life is of no effect in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you, you can feel and sense the, the passion and emotion here in Paul's words here. We implore you. We appeal to you. He's begging, begging them. The stakes are high. The time is now. He knows that Christians that are affected by the cares of this world, are of no, they're, they're of no benefit to the kingdom or even to themselves. And in the case of the Corinthian church, it had sown so much discord in the church itself among the brethren. Now, Paul's passion for that church, for that church that he founded, that he poured into, is going to continue here in our second point when we say the urgency of the moment, the urgency of the moment. Verse 2, we read, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day. Of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Paul is quoting directly here from, from Isaiah 49, 8, referring to the Israel's restoration and return from captivity from Babylon. Paul is telling them that there is a season when salvation occurs, when God is listening and when God's arms are open wide to all who call upon his name. But there will be a time, there will be a time when when he, when he is no longer listening, and instead he is bringing judgment. The Bible makes it clear that the invitation of salvation will one day be gone. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, and indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And the writer, there's those last two phrases, is quoting from Psalm 95. Now is the day of salvation. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. I think that aspect of the text is obvious, but I want to point out two other perspectives as we, as we see in the context of chapter 5 and chapter 6, and specifically in the context of the ministry of reconciliation. Both of these perspectives, I think, are, are speaking to Christians. Now is the day of salvation. Firstly, Christian, what are you doing with the grace of God given to you? Today is the day of salvation. Are you walking in the power of his spirit and the calling and giftings he has given you, like Ephesians 2.10, for, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Are you starting to walk down that road? Today is the day to start your journey. Has maybe the noise of, of the world nullified the power of the gospel in your life? Well, today is the day to turn some of those things off, maybe remove them. And I think of course, that is a lesson we can all be reminded of. 
What are we compelled by? It says there in verse 14 of chapter 5, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us or constrains us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who was for their, for their sake died and was raised. Secondly, be reconciled to one another. Paul is not only speaking of salvation and reconciliation with God in this text, but with each other. Jesus said in Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has, has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be first reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We don't have time. Today is the day. Now is the day of salvation. We don't have time to be mad at each other, to hold grudges in this life, to harbor bitterness to what, towards one another, to divide on, on t- topics and, and causes that are all secondary issues. Now, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to be reconciled. Part of being a good ambassador is bringing reconciliation. We are free then to be the people that God has called us to be when we are reconciled to him and to each other. We don't want to lay any unnecessary obstacles in anyone's path, give them any unnecessary reason to find fault with with our God and with us or with our ministry, which is our third point as we're moving along. Thirdly, they're removing barriers to the message. Now, there is a lot of overlap here uh, with our first point, the unity of mission, because a, a muddled and, 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 and confusing message can truly be a barrier to our ministry of reconciliation, to someone who is responding to the gospel. It's the simple message of God, God's love and sacrifice to us, reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And if that is obscured, by obstacles that we are, you know, intentionally or unintentionally uh, placing in, in the path of those seeking salvation, that's not a good thing. It's an unnecessary barrier or obstacle in their way. You know, and one of those obstacles or barriers could be adding things to the message like, hey, you know, if you follow this list of commandments, then you truly will be saved. You truly will prove that you are a mature Christian or only when you are finally baptized, that is when finally you're there. That is the point where you can finally have the feeling that you've really made it. Or only if you ex- exhibit certain spiritual gifts, then you, are, then you are truly saved. You know, many of these things Paul had spoken to and spoken against and, and instructed the, the Corinthian church. Or, or, you know, so many times you see this, well, salvation is only found in our church or in our church group. You know, it's, it's not enough to know Jesus. If you're really serious about Jesus and about the gospel, then you need to be a member of our cause or our political party. You know, we, minister, we muddy the message when we, we're adding requirements to the simple gospel, ambassadors with our own agenda. And it just creates disunity in the mission and the message. And, you know, one of the most important lessons that I learned from being a missionary in a foreign country in Hungary for so many years is that the gospel really is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. It really is. I hardly understood the language in the first few years. I I didn't understand societal pressures. I didn't understand the politics or the history or the cultural philosophies. All I had was my Bible, you know, and in my ignorance, I would just kind of teach it and encourage those who came to listen 
just to apply it, along with many of the other missionaries that I, that I served with. And if I was counseling someone, I would just, in my ignorance, tell them, well, this, this is what the Bible says. These are the principles God would have us follow. And then we would pray for wisdom and strength and trust that God would do what he has promised. And I had nothing to rely on but, but the word of God and the message of the gospel. I was completely oblivious to the world around me. It was certainly God's strength in my weakness. And over the 20 plus years that I lived there, we saw thousands of people come to faith and grow in grace. Grow in grace. It was amazing. Of course, as time went on, I began to learn the language and, and engage with the culture. But the foundation had been laid. And I could say with Paul in all confidence in Romans 1:16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to, to everyone who believes. As ambassadors of Jesus, we must be careful not to lay any unnecessary obstacles to the gospel by complicating the simplicity of the gospel message. And in, and in the same vein, we must be careful not to misrepresent our God and our Savior, misrepresent, misrepresent his heart to the world. The ambassador doesn't want to misrepresent the message of the king. And, and I'm reminded of the story of Moses in Numbers chapter 20, if you remember that one. You know, the Israelites had begun to complain again about being stuck in the desert and how great it was back in Egypt and, you know, how great the onions. They always talked about the onions back in Egypt. It's like, they used to have onions in Egypt and we had no... You know, they called them leeks. I'm like, did you remember that you were slaves and got beat back in Egypt? But, but they were cl- complaining again. They did a lot of complaining. And, and so Moses and Aaron, they go before God and, and they, you know, prostrate themselves before the Lord. And God speaks and tells, tells Moses to speak to the rock and water will come forth. Well, sadly, instead of Moses yells at the people in anger, and then he strikes the rock with his staff twice, completely misrepresenting the heart of God and even communicating. You know, he called them, you rebels. You know, he communicated something God had not said. It was Moses' frustrations. Of course, water came from the rock and God provided. But if you know the story, neither Moses nor Aaron would be allowed to take the people into the promised land. It was like, it seemed like a real harsh punishment. But, you know, we don't have time to dive into the details today, but we could surmise that God does not want his character and his message misrepresented. Now, this thought is carried over into the New Testament when, when Jesus speaks to the disciples, in Matthew, uh, to the Pharisees, sorry, in Matthew 18. The Pharisees, those that were supposedly representing God, Matthew 18, verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believed in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. We're even warned in James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, which, which makes me wonder why on earth I would be up here on a Sunday morning as a representative of God and teach you the Bible. You know, that's why there's a gap here. So in case lightning comes down, you guys are safe. So, but it's because I'm here, it's because of thousands of other pastors around the world today. We understand the urgency of the moment. Now is the day of salvation. 
and we share the heart of God that none should perish and that all should, should reach repentance. That's my, my calling today. What is your calling today in the ministry of reconciliation? This is the passion and emotion of Paul that we see here in our text today. Now, let's get a window into that passion as we look at his resume in ministry, which is our fourth point, the resume of a ministry. We read there in verses 4 and 5, that as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, and hunger. Now, it's easy to be distracted by that list of things that Paul endured and kind of maybe miss the, the greater lesson here, and that is how he endured through all of these things. You know, all of us at some point are, are you know, we're going to have suffer through afflictions and hardships and calamities as we serve the Lord in this life. Hopefully, we're not going to be beat and imprisoned and riots, and it might be a few sleepless nights, of course. Um, we are promised tribulation in this world. Jesus promised us that. But Paul wants us to remind us here as we, as we look at his resume, at the resume of a minister, Paul's resume, that it's not what you go through, but it's how you go through it, how you're prepared. This is the commendation. This is his commendation between, before God and before man. And the lens through which we'll view his resume is found there in verse 4, the word endurance. We see, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great Endurance, endurance in afflictions, endurance in hardships and in calamities, endurance in beatings and imprisonments, endurance in riots and labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And he, he endured by purity, by knowledge and patience and kindness. He endured by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And this, this word endurance... This word endurance in Greek, it does not have a direct, direct English equivalent. The word is hupomone and can be translated patience. Some of your translations probably use the word patience, though I think endurance kind of gives more in this context a greater and clearer meaning. We looked at this word a few years ago and we, we studied Psalm 40. It says, I waited patiently, hupomone, for the Lord and he heard my cry. So... Parents, if you want to get your kids started in Greek, you know, one day when they're, they're not uh, paying attention or listening, you can say, you're really testing my hupomone today. <laughs> and uh, that will elicit some response from them, probably a good laugh or, what did you just say, mom, dad? But, but just way of reminder, this is not a passive word as we tend to use it. I waited patiently at the DMV or I waited patiently at the post office or I endured Thanksgiving dinner with my family or I endured my job today. As one theologian put it, I love this. He says, hupomone is not simply the patience which waits passively for the storm to pass. It is the spirit which stares down the storm. It is the spirit which bears difficulty, not with resignation, but with blazing hope because it knows glory is coming. Hupomone is not the grim patience that waits for the end, but the radiant patience that hopes for a new beginning. Hupomone is the background upon which courage and glory are painted. Hupomone is what keeps your feet stubbornly, joyfully plodding on against the wind. Hupomone is what transforms the hardest trials into quests for victory. 
Upamone is that grit and determination within Christians in the first century that enabled them to deny Caesar as Lord and affirm Jesus as Lord. And this word is used 30 times in the New Testament in noun form and 15 times in verb form. And the most common usage is in connection with the goal of glory. We read in James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, hupomone, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And this was always Paul's goal. Remember back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2.14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. We will endure afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights and hunger because we know that we have won. We know that we have won. We're not waiting on salvation. Salvation has come in the form of Jesus. We are, we are being led in triumphal procession to glory and we want to bring as many people along with us as we possibly possibly can through our ministry of reconciliation. Paul's resume showed us here, shows us here the great passion that he has for his people, his church, and his ministry. This was his commendation. Now let's look briefly at how Paul there endured in in verses 6 and 7 as we just kind of highlight some of those words and what we can learn from them. One of the first one is he, he endured through purity. His life was transparent. He was, he was not one, one way in private and a different Paul in public. He was honest about his weakness. His yes was yes and his no was no. He lived his life in true sincerity. And he grew and he was growing in his knowledge of God and the word and doctrine. Knowledge of God's character and God's work of redemption are all over Paul's letters. He was patient. He was patient. He had to be patient with the Corinthians. He, he endured patiently. There, there's a time to wait patiently for the Lord's timing and not be impetuous. He endured through kindness. You know, kindness goes a long way in moving us forward in tough times. And Paul pointed out this very characteristic in God himself in Romans 2.4. You know that passage. It says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Isn't that beautiful? He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. That lesson is so clear and obvious to us. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. He had genuine love for for the ones that that he he was imploring and that he was pleading with to be reconciled to God. He had genuine love for them. You know, love makes us do crazy things. We will, we will endure a lot for, for genuine love. His critics, they accuse Paul of not being truthful. But Paul reiterates that his truth, his speech was indeed truthful. As an ambassador of Christ, he's, he is just representing the truth of the message of the gospel, the truth of the message and words of Christ. And he endured all in the power of God. Paul told the Galatians in chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew where his power lay, and he knew he was not defenseless either. We read there with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, and many commentators believe that the reference to the right hand and the left is the reference to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in the right hand and the shield of faith in the left. Paul will tell the Corinthians in chapter 10 later on, for we walk in flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We can learn so much here from Paul in these verses about what an ambassador looks like and acts like and fights like and endures like. And this is such a great resume for us to aspire to. But as we come here now to our fifth and final point, and we are getting to the end, we must acknowledge that there is a paradox that exists in the ministry of reconciliation. So our fifth and final point, the paradox of ministry Even the best ambassadors, and Paul was certainly one of the best, even the best ambassadors are not received well. We, yes, we have a message of redemption, of hope, of love, of joy unspeakable, of of eternal life, and some will receive it while others will reject it. And many times it's not just a rejection of the message itself, but the messenger. Jesus said in Luke 10, 16, the one who hears, hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In genuine love, we can implore, we can, we can plead, and we can beg, but the decision is always the one up to the hearer and their response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We, in, we endure through this paradox as well. Starting there in verse 8, we have a, a great representation of God's economics for those, for those who are new creations in Christ. As Jesus said, the first shall be last, or Paul, for, for me to live is Christ and, and to die is gain. As we learn back in chapter 2 of this letter, the ambassador of Christ is, is a fragrance of death to those who are rejecting the gospel, the message, and a fragrance of life to those who are responding to the message. The new creation in Christ knows that while we, we might be dishonored in this life, we are honored in heaven. We might be completely unknown here on earth and quietly working in our corner doing the ministry of reconciliation. But in heaven, the angels are rejoicing. We're sorrowful here at the state of our world and the rejection of Christ and his message. But we are rejoicing in the ones that are responding. Of course, knowing that our treasure our treasures in heaven, that pouring out our lives for the sake of the gospel means that we, have, we possess all that we will ever need here in this life. The paradox of this life is only going to be resolved in heaven. I hope you know that because this world is not our home. It's not our home. We're just passing through. Now we've finished there in verse, verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Paul says, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Paul is here speaking as their spiritual father to his spiritual children, to the church that he has started. He started this church. He poured his life. He's endured so much 
for this church. But this could be God's words to us today as well. I've spoken freely to you. My, my arms, my heart is open wide, God says. Don't be restricted in your own affections, in your own doubts, in your own sin, in your own bitterness. As we sang this morning, how deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And how great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. But I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. As new creations in Christ, compelled by the love of Christ, we are empowered by the spirit of Christ to bring the message of Christ. That is what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.